Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Tracy, this week we talked about stethoscopes. Sure did. Um, I don't know how I landed there. I was... <laughs> I'm sure it was a thing where I saw an image or something and went, oh, where did that come from? Which is often what happens if I'm doing an episode about an invention. Uh, one of the things we did not get really into, because I just found it kind of like... It always is written about in kind of a sensationalized and yucky way, is not only Leonex embarrassment that's often referenced in leading him to try to think of a way that he could listen to his patient's chest without having to put his ear up against her, um, is that in some write-ups of that moment, there is a lot of discussion about how doctors didn't want to touch their patients because they were unwashed and gross. Oh. Um, which I'm sure is sometimes was sometimes the case, but I don't know. There's no way to really talk about it without it being a side street of like maybe, but I don't know how clean was the doctor, right? Like, there's, yeah, there's always like a, a a big discussion about cleanliness standards, and there's a lot of misconception about it, and a lot of classism falls into that, right? Where it's like it always is talked about in this very denigrating way without recognizing that like people did not have access to running water the way we do necessarily. Mm-hmm. So if you were a working person or like the city's working poor, it wasn't like you didn't care. You just didn't have all the resources to like take a bath every day right. or a shower. So I didn't, that just, like I said, it gets into a whole separate um, thing on the the social situation going on. Whereas it kind of always comes off in write-ups as a little bit snooty of like, ooh, yuck, I don't want to touch these people. Right. So I feel like I've heard that story framed not so much as snooty classism, but as like really restrained sexual mores and modesty. That too. I mean, that's that it seems like if you're doing pattern recognition was quite likely more of an issue when you considered that Leonek was also a man who like was so religiously devout and considered so conservative in that regard that other doctors were like, Mm-hmm. Wow, you are wound really tightly. Um, so it it would seem natural that he might be a little bit hesitant to um, get right up on a, a a woman patient for that reason. I think that holds more water than the he thought his patients were yucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may or may not have factored into why other doctors adopted it pretty readily. Uh, like we said, not all of them, but many. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a weird that becomes like a whole weird secondary social discussion that yeah it wasn't really germane to the actual topic. <laughs> Somehow it reminded me of back when we did that Ignat Semmelweis episode, and when he was saying everybody needs to be washing their hands, and there was this argument that a doctor's hands are always clean because a doctor is a gentleman. Right. It's like that's cute. Um. Humans are humans. We, <laughs> we all get dirty. Uh, yeah. It is s- sad to me how much tuberculosis became the theme of his life, right? From his early age as a kid when he lost his mom mm-hmm. and then other family members and his um, mentor and then, of course, himself. Uh, it is interesting that he seemed to want to be like, I don't have it. I don't have it. Right. I'm fine. Right. It also took 
I always lose track of where on the timeline people realized it was a contagious disease for sure. Mm-hmm. Because I, when I was reading a, a biographical write-up on him in a, a medical journal and they had mentioned, like, he didn't know it was contagious. And I was like, what? And I was like, ah. They, and that was where I started to backtrack and realize that there were still arguments going on about the exact nature of of what caused tuberculosis, um, which is also, you know that sad and terrifying thing that comes up a lot in history of, like, doctors who are trying to help people dying from the thing they are trying to fix. Right. Um, because they don't, and we didn't always know what was going on. Oh, nice. It seemed fun, and now I went downer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How much do you love the idea that what we know of Piori's inspiration comes from a poem he wrote about it? Yeah, that's pretty great. It's pretty fun. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I literally, it seemed so, I don't know what the word is for it. It took me so by surprise that I kept like cross-referencing things to make sure that was not like a weird translation problem. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, he really did write a poem about it. Okay. (laughs) Great. Uh, which is quite cute. I like that he, uh, dedicated his his book to Leonek, as well as two of their, I think uh, the other two doctors were uh, both mentors they had both studied under, which was kind of sweet. Anyway, I'm thankful that they came up with the stethoscope because now we know an awful lot more about, um, you know, disease. And like I said, we didn't go into super depth, but particularly that second revision, he really did like if you hear this, the possibilities are this. Like, he really laid mm-hmm. out a diagnostic roadmap for for uh, physicians, which is pretty impressive. And uh, for someone who died in his 40s, that's a really huge legacy. And he's not a name, he's not a name that's on everyone's lips outside of, you know, if you know a lot about medical history. <laughs> yeah, I had questions about pronouncing it that came up in the middle of the episodes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so th- thanks for that. Because we sure appreciate it today. We talked about Eunice Newton Foote this week. And uh, this is the second time in recent memory that I've been working on an episode about somebody where I just um, have had a really hard time getting a sense of, like, their personality, what they were like as a person, things besides some spare details of their life to build a kind of narrative out of. Because mm-hmm. um, I had a similar uh, a similar thing when we were working on Annie Jump Cannon with there not being, like, a full-on, you know, for adults biography of her. Um, there's even less about Eunice Newton Foote out there in the, the publicly accessible world right now. Yeah. Um, which made it a little challenging. And uh, one of those things where I'm just like, you know, if I lived uh, closer to any of the the places where there might be some of her papers and there were not a pandemic happening, <laughs> I might be like, guess what I'm going to do? Right. Drop Boat everything trip. and look for this. Yeah, I I liked Slash was a little bit bummed when we got to the part about the genealogy writing where they're like, she was a marvelous painter. And I'm like, what? And yeah. and We don't know anything about that. That's all I know. I know nothing else uh, besides that. 
Um, I One of the things I stumbled over when working on this was a Twitter thread by uh, one of her descendants um, trying to find more information about her. And uh, I, like we mentioned that there's not a known photograph of her at this point as of when we're recording it. Um, and in that thread, there were some things that were like, well, here's four pictures of women. One of them could be her, but we don't mm. really know. Um, yeah. Some of the people that she was connected to, either personally or uh, or through marriage, through her children's marriages, are like well-known and prominent enough that it seems like there probably is other information in existence somewhere. Uh, it is a matter of, you know, finding it in archives and people's correspondence and historical societies and maybe somebody's attic. <laughs> Yeah, I do. uh, I will say this, completely not related to her biography or anything important. I think my favorite phrase of the entire thing is electrical excitation. Yeah. If that doesn't sound like a band from the 80s, I don't know what does. Kind of does, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I would like for that to be a modern day cover band that does all of like the synth pop of the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of New Order covers. Yeah. That would be great in my book. I also really appreciated how uh, how accessible both of their papers were to read in terms of um, just having a pretty straightforward narrative of of what they did and what they found. Um, and you know, I don't I don't read scientific journal articles as much now as I used to when my job was writing for the website How Stuff Works. But uh, because the field of science is a lot more professionalized than it was in the middle of the 19th century, mm-hmm. um, when there were a lot of people just doing some experiments in their own little home lab and then publishing that in respectable journals, like the level of complexity and and jargon and uh, and l- more inaccessibility has just trended over time to be more difficult to get access to and more difficult to read as a layperson. Yeah, I do love the suggestion that you can kind of get from what little we do know about her, that she and Elisha were clearly, like, partners. Yeah, they seem to, from just the reading of each of their work, like, the the most obvious conclusion is that they were a good match and they had a happy marriage where they did experiments and they invented things and they patented it. <laughs> Doesn't that sound kind of dreamy? That sounds, sounds marvelous. Great to me. Yeah. We're going to do some science together, honey. Let me make the coffee. Let's get on it. Yeah. I think that sounds beautiful. Yeah. We didn't mention it in the episode, but one of the things that um that Elisha patented was uh an improved ice skate. And so I Kind of love the idea that Eunice was patenting a filling for shoes and boots so that they would not be squeaking. And he was patenting a sort of similar but slightly different ice skate. Listen, where is that filler? Because I still have squeaky shoes. That's a good question. Although I imagine, I imagine that was a filler that was intended for shoes of the time, which often had like a much thinner leather sole than like Mm -hmm. my sneakers today, which are squeaky. Yeah. I do not mean the squeak of rubber on floors. I mean the squeak when you take a step because those still yeah. happen. I um, remember back when uh, not only were you and I working in the same office, but that office is in a different place than 
than the office that exists for our company now. Um, I had this pair of Mary Janes that I loved, and the interior pieces of them made just the loudest, most embarrassing squeak, and I felt self-conscious every time I wore them, and nothing I tried to do to address it worked. Well, and that office had very little sound baffling, so uh, I could see where one would become self-conscious with a squeak that would then carry across. The entire everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this, you know, happy Friday again. Whatever's happening your weekend, I hope it's going to be great. We'll be back with an episode out of the archive tomorrow. Brand new episode episode on Monday. And if you want to subscribe to the show, we're anywhere you could want to get your podcasts. And if you want to drop us a note, we're at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.